0: FX first. David, how significant is the FX judgment?
1: Well, like you've the, the key issue there is you've got a collective action. That the Court of Appeals says should proceed on an opt-out basis. Where unlike the other collectives that have been certified to date, uh, your class members are not students, they're not quite individuals. Mm-hmm. Really, most, most of the businesses Uh, Now, within that, you've got a broad church. You've got all sorts of businesses from SMEs way through to larger corporations. And in this case, there were arguments raised at various points that collective regime is really about consumers with small claims. And large, sophisticated organisations bring their claims on an opt-in basis. And so this decision, importantly, confirms opt-out collective action regime is also for the benefit of larger businesses where, and this is the key point, the relative value of their claim compared to the expense of bringing litigation on their own, means that they're never going to do it. So that's a really important decision which should hopefully make it easier for similar sorts of claims.
2: And it's fair to say that numerically the majority of the class will be SMEs. Absolutely. Um, Yeah, Yeah. albeit there will be a significant number of large institutions so it, it in SME, right?
1: Yeah, so the, uh, we, we did, did quite a lot of work, statistical evidence about who's in the class, you know, what's your average value of the claim, and our thinking is that there are tens of thousands um, of class members, and the majority of them are SMEs, and most of them have small claims, you know, single digit thousands of, of pounds. And of course, you know, this is litigation, I should say, you know, Take a step back. This is litigation against six international banks for participating in a conspiracy, a cartel, um, in the foreign exchange markets. And so, if you imagine the costs of bringing that kind of claim—a complex competition damages claim against mm. major banks—and you've got a claim value in the single-digit thousands, it's clearly not fine.
0: And David, put that put that point into the sort of legal context of the claim, because the court of appeal was looking at this right via rule 79.3 and the question as to whether or not the claim should be opt-in or opt-out and it's it can consider the strength of the claims the practicability so how does the nature of the class fit into that?
1: Well it fitted into the practicability um, aspects on on the decision about opt-in opt-out so as you say the the tribunal can choose um, whether or not cases can go Ahead on an opt-out or opt-in basis. And in this case, we had said it can only go ahead on an opt-out basis. And we weren't just saying that, we had uh, evidence to support that. So, of course, we had the evidence I mentioned, where we had you know, looked at uh, all sorts of data sources to try and work out what the average claim value could be. But then we also had evidence from Anthony about book-building efforts that we had undertaken before the collective action collective action regime is in force mm-hmm. seeking to build a more traditional group action structure mm-hmm. and uh, as you would appreciate you know we primarily targeted the bigger organizations there because the bigger claim values were easier to fund and we did sign up a few clients with um, in some cases you know claims worth in single digit millions but even there the overall value of their claim wasn't big enough mm-hmm. to make a claim viable so we had this evidence from entity to the tribunal that we'd tried to book a bill for a claim, and it wasn't possible. So hence, we said an opt-in simply wasn't going to work. Mm-hmm. And we had lots of reasons for that, you know, the discomfort that organisations would feel about suing banks. And there was a lengthy extract from these witness statements in the judgment. And that's crucial. In this case, that was accepted by the cat. And the Court of Appeal really uh, focused in on that point, because the cat said, well, I accept your evidence that the case won't go ahead if I choose opt-in, and yet it nevertheless decided that the most appropriate procedural mechanism was opt-in, mm-hmm. and there's a sort of a logical issue there, which obviously the Court of Appeal focused on in its
2: judgment when it decided that the cap went away mm. in choosing between opt-in or opt-out. Mm-hmm. And if you look at the objects of the regime access to justice, and compensation, etc., etc., et, cetera, et cetera, um, then clearly that practicality in a, in a world where an opt-in won't work an opt-out has to be allowed to work as a matter of logic and i think that's where the court of appeal went to be just to see how that goes in other business cases when they have to weigh those factors in due course we'll see yeah and the
1: the other issue i guess is that the court of appeal picked up, picked up on was well if you're choosing whether it should be opt-in or opt-out uh you, you need to have a reason why one of them is going to be preferable over the other and mm. here the, the tribunal it said it preferred opt-in because it considered it was practicable, uh, despite accepting relevance but it didn't provide a reason why opt-in would be a better way to litigate the claim mm. you know, in the interests of fairness or conduct of litigation why would opt-in be a better approach than opt-out and the court said, all the cats here hadn't done that and that if the cat is going to choose one over the other it doesn't
2: And, and interestingly, they said the strength of the claim doesn't really go one way yes, or another. Yeah. When, when, when you're looking at whether you're making trade opt-in. Yeah,
0: which I was day. going to say that said Which it is said the court had said in in BT, this is a you know this is a neutral factor. Yeah. And I thought there's that really interesting um, piece of the judgment where the court was saying there are these other things you need to look at. So what is the best way opt-in, opt-out of vindicating the claim? What's yeah. the best way of ensuring judicial Efficiency.
2: Yeah, exactly. And they clearly said, there's no preference either way between opt-in and opt-out. As you say, you're then not looking at the merit of the claim very strongly. You're looking at the practicality, and you're looking at the the regime objectives. You would think a lot of the time, the court is going to conclude that, therefore, it needs to be run on an opt-out basis, particularly when you've got a a large business class
1: Yeah, and this does. I mean, I guess this is partly a it's a case specific point, but here we had uh, an opt-out claim fire. And the the banks in their response said it should be opt-in, if at all. And they supported that by reference to the strength of the claim. So they made a very detailed forensic attack across a raft of issues in the case relating to causation, quantification. Uh, But they did so without filing any supporting evidence, Mm. whether statistical, economic, market evidence. They didn't provide any disclosure either. We, in the meantime, were relying on the Commission's decisions, which were short-form settlement decisions, and the cat picked up on what the defendant's criticisms were saying and went into quite a lengthy exploration of causation and expressed several concerns. And the Court of Appeal felt that the cat went the wrong way here because, in a sense, it was sort of tempted into doing an exercise by the defendants. that was premature because the defendants hadn't presented a fully substantiated attack backed by evidence. And if you're going to go into that level of detail, it's too early to do so before you get things like disclosure. So that was a, a big factor for the Court of Appeal. And another one is, is a case-specific point, but uh, there was another commission decision in FX uh, relating to a different chapter called Sterling Lads. And um, the timing was a bit unfortunate for us because. The the investigations were ongoing during the CPA process, but the decision wasn't made until after the judgment and it therefore wasn't available to the CAP. but the Court of Appeal saw it, read Mm. it, discussed it in their judgment and felt that it provided a lot more detail about what was going on and a lot more support for drawing an inference at this early stage of the case that there was some harm to the market. So, part of the Court of Appeals thinking here is that the CAT needs to have a look at the case reformulated to take account of the Sterling Lads decision. I should just add there as well the Sterling Lads decision was not a settlement decision. It was an decision. Right. Because the addressee there, Credit Suisse, refused to settle with the Commission. So, the resulting decision provided a lot more information about the Commission's fight. Thank you, Credit Suisse.
0: <laughs> a special thank you there Good. um and so and this that's interesting isn't it David from the point of view of um what it means um or could mean for future cases and the cat's um power to strike out um a case which it it can do of its own accord but I think the general um the general vibe if I can call it that was that the cat needs to be pretty wary um about doing that especially early on
1: yeah, so here the CAT exactly. So the CAT um, considered the case was susceptible to strikeouts and as a result of its concerns about strength of claims. Of course, the banks hadn't applied for strikeouts or intimated that the claim should be struck out. Mm. Uh, at least they certainly didn't go seeking to do so. And uh, but the CAT said, of course, of its own volition, it could do so, which which we accept. But in the end, it decided it wouldn't strike the claims out. So the Court of Appeal said, well, you know, the cat hasn't done anything wrong here, it decided to wait and there's nothing intrinsically wrong with that. But yes, you're right. I think there's a word of caution from the Court of Appeal that the cat shouldn't be forming a detailed view about the strength of a claim at this early stage, particularly in the absence of any...
2: yeah,
0: the, I think the, the judgment was quite critical in that respect, wasn't it, talking about the defendant sort of being on the sidelines throwing rocks or exactly. jumping on a passing bandwagon. Um, yeah. So you mentioned earlier causation, David, and I think uh, there is this really interesting paragraph in the judgment which talks about um, caus- causation in the context of opt-out claims. Um, and I think that the interesting point is that um, the, court, the court is saying that where there is evidence that Um, defendants have gained from unlawful activity, but looking at causation appears to be quite tricky, quite problematic, perhaps quite complicated, you can then look at um, other ways of measuring um, what ought to be awarded to the class. So, disgorgement of of profits, Um, you know, um, uh, that could amount to a proxy. I mean I think that really is an interesting point for, um, for other cases and um, for other potential cases as you yeah, go forward?
1: Well, it fits into I mean there's now a lot of case law a lot of collective actions right in the last few years we've got a lot of decisions, both from the cat and the Court of Appeal mm. and there's a growing I think it's the references in this direction growing confidence um, in you know how to deal with complex issues yeah. and you know you have cases where you have complex Issues around causation, justification. And yes, you have a an interesting comment in the judgment here about what do you do when you know there is evidence that the, the defendants here have gained from uh, conduct, but it's hard to work out the extent of the loss. Mm. And you know, rather than using the sort of typical econometric techniques or as an alternative, you could look at something else, and that's why you look at the other side of the coin, right? So you look at the profits that have been made, and yeah. you look at some you some kind of a counter-profits type remedy mm. or using it as a proxy for the damage. So you say, well, look, in the absence of um, robust techniques, um, perhaps the most effective way to deal with this is to use the gain made by the defendants as a proxy for the losses
2: suffered by the class. And this does, I mean, it ties in with the sort of broad axe idea of merits, doesn't it? And some of the thinking you saw in the mail and some of that thinking that goes into Chucks, trucks, which is, you know, you've just got to take a fairly robust attitude to working out what the loss of damage here is make a hand of it and, and make an award. I think you know, that, for me, has clearly been the direction of the report in this, but the, the account will be interesting.
0: Yes, yeah, it's a sort of determination of, or determination in the sense of um, ensuring redistribution, yeah, which exactly I think exactly. is, um, is quite interesting. David, one more point on FX, and this is um, carriage, because of course there were two um, class reps seeking uh, to take carriage of, of this claim.
1: Yes, absolutely. So here at the, the Court of Appeal, um, it considered an appeal by the, the alternative applicants, uh, Higgins. Uh, the cat had um, preferred Mr. Evans, our client's application of the Higgins application, and uh, Higgins was seeking to overturn that. And in essence, the Court of Appeal said, well, look, this is a you know, quintessential multifactorial evaluation by an expert tribunal. There's a pretty high threshold for reversing that we had a court to look at it. Mm. And it considers that Higgins hadn't met the threshold here. So I think that's that is a useful steer because we have seen other cases with carriage disputes. And you know, in our experience it can be extremely costly and add considerable complexity and potentially jeopardize the certification process. And so to have a bit of case law confirming that this isn't the sort of thing that should you go on appeal is clearly very helpful
2: hopefully costs in future cases and hopefully settle carriage disputes and i think they said a couple of i think really useful things so first of all they said not about first to file which seems to me absolutely right it means there isn't a rush to the courtroom door that you see in america where you get often bad claims put in very early that allows people breathing space to put in claims i think that's really and secondly, they said it's not going to be about a funding arms race. Um, so it's not going to be simply the person who turns up with the biggest funding cost insurance got. And again, that will discourage people, I hope, from just buying funding and buying insurance um, just to get the largest amount, um, which would, if, if, if funding had been seen as the trigger, that would, I think, have been in the incentive for people to it high. Um, and that incentive is gone. So I think those two indications are really helpful. Yeah, and another point was, was
1: made about the, the, uh, the scope of the class, because here there was a between the two class reps and one slightly broader class in some respects. And it, you know, obviously there was an argument made so that if you have a broader class, then that makes you a better candidate. And the Court of Appeal rejected that argument said, so, well, no, because we are pushing at the outer limits of a claim, then that's not necessarily the best for the case of the class as a whole. Perhaps a better thought is a narrower cast but that could be a benefit
0: yes yeah okay well look we're gonna say that's FX and we should say um, congratulations to Anthony and to David and of course to our client um, Phil Evans on the successful piloting um, of of this claim um, so far the second judgment we want to talk about is um, trucks came down from the Court of Appeal um, Nicola on the same day it's the same panel and of course, so um this appeal stemmed from the truck's cartel, where we've got the two collective actions, the RHA's claim, which have been certified on an opt-in basis, and you had the another applicant, the UKTC, um, who were seeking certification on an opt-out, I think, or an opt-in basis. They got knocked back at the certification stage. So you had various appeals going up to the Court of Appeal.
3: Um, Do you want to tell us a little bit, Nicola, about where it landed? Yes, thanks, Lucy. So it was handed down, I think, alongside the FX appeal because it did deal with this on paper in the the opt-in, opt-out debate as well um, with with the two different um, applications. Um, The Court of Appeal here um, took a different approach and upheld the certification of the opt-in. Claim Mm -hmm. and um, it didn't accept the appeal by the UKTC that it should be brought on an opt out basis. And we're dealing with quite a different fact pattern here, of course, where the RHA has, I think, 16,000 claimants registered on an opt in basis and Mm -hmm. clearly has shown that 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 claim is practicable and viable to to proceed as an opt in claim. Um, So perhaps the more interesting piece, though, was that the RHA also faced um questions over the inclusion in its class of members who bought both new trucks Mm. and used trucks Mm. now this is an issue that had been raised at the certification hearing as to whether it was an issue that they had um potentially conflicting interests of different class members within the same class now the approach of the tribunal at the time was to, to say to defer the issue to later in the proceedings <clears throat> and took the view they could deal with that later on if, and deal with conflict issues should they arise. The Court of Appeal however um, saw this as a much more serious issue um, that did indeed go to the certification of the class um, and actually found that it was important that the interests of the different class members were separated mm. such that it requires the RHA to have separate teams of lawyers Mm -hmm. funders um and experts Mm -hmm. who are representing the interests of those class members Mm. um now interestingly they also said i think that the the class rep itself should have separate teams Mm. um that's obviously quite peculiar to the rha being an organization who which is big enough to potentially do that i think in a situation where you'd had an individual class Mm. representative it would effectively have been saying you need a second representative in order to split the two classes yes um so the rha claim therefore yes can go ahead but there's they're going to need to deal with this the sort of separation of the different um interests of the class members it's
0: fair to say the court is sort of saying to the cat you you know is recognizing the conflict issue and saying that the cat didn't take it seriously enough
3: essentially yeah didn't deal with it uh, uh, up front and um indeed it it seems a fair issue when you're looking at certification and who's going to represent the interests of the of the class Mm -hmm. um it it was particular to that particular facts of the cartel Mm. um and so it won't arise in every case but i i think it does go to that question of thinking about subclasses whether you need different representation for certain aspects of the case yeah um that maybe people now applying for certification giving a bit more to as we go mm. forward.
0: And the U- UKTC had had made that point, in which the, the sort of new and used tracks point which Mann and Daff had made, but they also made an additional point which is essentially that, that the Cat shouldn't have preferred the RHA's claim. Um, and I think I'm right in saying in the judgment that the Court of Appeal deal with that relatively shortly. It sort of say, you know, the Cat did its multifactorial assessment, mm-hmm. um, you know, it did it at length and we're not gonna we're not gonna go
3: through that again. Yeah, and I think that's right. And it ties in with what David's been saying. I think the Court of Appeal is giving a message that they don't want to see an appeal on every mm. one of these decisions. There mm. will be, as we've seen in other cases already, competing claims, and they want to equip the tribunal to make that decision. There have obviously been some important points of principle which have needed to be an iron out as to how you make that decision. But I think there is quite a strong message. It should, you know, largely now be for case management by the tribunal.
0: Yeah, and the only the only other point I think from from because I think I'm right in saying there was a um, quite uh, uh, that well, there's a there's a piece about the Microsoft test. I mean, this is all quite familiar to us now, but a further endorsement of the um, the correct approach to the Microsoft test, which you know distinguishes our uh, approach um, to the collective regime from that of the Americans, where we are not, or the courts are not going to. Uh, encourage a whole load of um, expert evidence up front, sort of thrown in at huge um, expense, but rather to look at things proportionately um,
3: and, you know, what can sensibly be done later in the proceedings. Yeah. And I think this is interesting because people have been jumping to conclusions about where the the regime is headed as different decisions have come down. Has the test become harder? Have the floodgates opened or closed? Um, and I think it's going back to the individual facts of each case, but also what the Court of Appeal is saying here is, look, we don't want this to become a two-year drawn-out mini trial. Mm. Um, we need to be able to take a sensible view, and um, the the test is, you know, you don't have to have the answer to every question as a as a claimant. And I think there is a there's a sort of question that the tribunals having to to decide of you know do you send claimants off do you order early disclosure to try and answer some of those questions but the court of appeal saying well no look you can't that that just sort of risks this gray line of how far does that go and I think as we've seen in the US that can go a very very long way to the point you're having a mini trial before you even get beyond certification so quite a useful steer I think um, Mm. which we'll hopefully see played out in the tribunal
0: absolutely okay so that was trucks. Um, and we have talked about FX as well, two significant um, judgments this week. We look forward to another episode of The Collective Cast um, shortly, no doubt, um, talking about yet further significant judgments. So
1: thanks to Anthony, Nicola and to David.